Thanks for listening to the Voice Church Podcast. We are a new, life-giving, multi-ethnic church located in Orange County, California. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Tustin. For more information, check out our social media or our website at www.voice.church. And now, let's tune in to this week's message. Go ahead and have a seat. Welcome, welcome. Welcome to, as Taka called you, the real ones. You know, if you came to church on Thanksgiving weekend, that you are the real ones. Like, you actually really want to hear about Jesus this weekend because so many other people are out there getting their Black Friday deals that now extend to, like, the Thursday after, right? (laughs) Um, Or they're still, like, you know, turkey hungover or sleeping or traveling or whatever. So congratulations, you guys. You are the real ones. (laughs) Give yourself a round of applause because you guys are the real ones you really wanted to hear about and experience Jesus this weekend um so you know for in my house um we make kind of like the traditional foods usually but a few years ago we gave up turkey because literally nobody in my house likes turkey does anyone else give up turkey is it just yeah okay yeah so we now have Taka Smokes um a tri-tip for us which is that's a win. That's a win for everyone. Who doesn't like tri-tip except for vegetarians, you know? So, but yeah, we had a great weekend. Um, for me, my favorite thing that I have that I like to eat, but nobody else likes to eat in my family is rice pudding. You guys have rice pudding in your house? No? Nobody else has rice pudding? Okay. So, well, if you, anyone else in this like room likes rice pudding. I haven't made it for years because I'm the only one who eats it. And if I make a whole serving of it, I will eat the whole thing by myself. And so if anyone wants some, just let me know and I'll make some and we'll share it and it'll be great. Okay. Uh, But it's so good and it's just like the best. So if anyone wants some, let me know. Um, But how many of you in this room are the kind of like the coordinators of your Thanksgiving meal? Anyone? What? Just one, just Trisha. Okay, where are you all at? Okay, so every year usually it falls on me, and I like to do it, so we usually invite people over to our house. This year was a little bit different. We went to um, our friends uh, Joe and Emily's house, um, and we actually brought a bunch of food to them. But if you are the person who coordinates Thanksgiving meal, you know that it has to be, like, specifically timed, okay? And I had literally, I made a chart And I had a family meeting with my family. (laughs) And I was like, this has to go in by this time. It has to come out by this time so we can make space on the next rack for the other one. And we have to do, so I literally, I mean, my kids will tell you, we literally sat down and I was like, okay, you do this one, you do this one. And there's a whole order to it, okay? You can't just like show up and like do whatever you want. You can't go rogue and like throw something in, in the oven whenever you feel like it. You gotta do it on the timeline or we're all like eating late, right? We're all eating like two hours late. And so actually this year I was like super organized, I was on it and somehow everything was still off. I still, everything was still done an hour late. And I think it's because probably I was like opening it and looking at everything too much. So all the heat was coming out. (laughs) So it's my fault. But anyways, my whole family helped me this year. It was so nice, I had helpers, Uh, but we had a great time. It was a good, it was a good, 
meal. Um, and actually, you know, there's actually, we've been talking about um, I Have Spoken is the series that we're in lately. And if you uh, want to follow along with me today, we're going to be reading in a little bit of the, of the book of John and a little bit in Revelation. And we're going to be talking about this guy named John, who actually in the book of Revelation talked about another really great meal, this really big meal. And so my efforts are like pretty small scale in coordination <laughs> in comparison to what this feast that John was talking about. And uh, so he wrote the Gospel of John, but he also wrote First John, Second John, Third John, and Revelation. Um, but the feast that he's talking about is called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Have, have any of you heard of this before? The Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And so he Basically, what happens is he has a vision from God. Um, he said that he was he had been exiled to this island because he was sharing his testimony when he's talking about Jesus, and the Roman government was not happy about it, so they exiled him to this island of Patmos. And while he was there, he said he was praying. Who knows? He could have been like very hungry and passed out. We don't know what happened exactly in that moment. He says he was praying, and God all of a sudden captured him and like brought him to this other place where he had a vision of the marriage supper of the lamb. And, he, and here's just a snippet of it because there's a lot of revelation and we're not going to cover all of that today. But if you read in 19.6-9, he says, I heard again what sounded like a shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the crash of a loud thunder. Praise the Lord for the Lord our God almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the lamb and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. Fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God, right? I have spoken, right? And in the Gospels, there's other parables about this same wedding feast, which we don't have a lot of time to dive into. But um, there's, one, um, there's one that talks about the virgins who were waiting for the bridegroom to come, and they didn't have enough oil. And so there was, there's other stories about it. If you really want to go look it up, go you know, do a little study on the marriage, <laughs> the marriage supper of the Lamb. Um, but basically, John was very passionate about sharing what Jesus had to say about the end of days and when we were going to go and meet him all together in unity one day. And so in that vision was a big part of it. But even in the book of John, he, he says like 27 different times specific phrases that Jesus had really important messages that he needed to share with us and he needed to make sure that we heard about. And so um, if you look in the book of John 1 through 18, there's kind of like an outline of what he like outlines in the book of John. And if you start in the first chapter, 1 to 18, he talks a lot about how Jesus is that bridegroom. He is the bridegroom. We are the bride. He's coming to bring us back one day. And then he brings, that Jesus also brings instructions. It's in one nineteen to twelve fifty, we kind of have the instruction manual of how we're supposed to live like him. Um, and it it's all about how we will, there will come a day where we're all called to account for this life that we've lived, that we will meet with God and we'll talk about what we did here on earth and whether we, our life was successful and not in the terms of how we would think about success, like in today's terms, not about 
power, fame, wealth, not any of those things, but really God's metrics center around relationships. How are we with people and how are we with God? How did we treat one another in this life? How did we make people feel in this life? How did we take care of other people? Did we, did we use people for our own ends or did we really give our life up so that other people could be just as, just as satisfied with life as we are, right? And so the other things that he said, in, as we break it down later, it says he wants us to pay attention and watch how Jesus lived. And so you can see that in chapters 13 to chapter 20. And so ultimately we see an outline of how Jesus lived, how he modeled his life. He gave us instructions about what we're supposed to do in this life. And um, then he ultimately wants us to live a life that honors him and honors others and that we would lay down our life. So just like Jesus did. And so the last section in chapter 21 is the one where it says we all must remain on mission with our purpose, which is to know God and to make him known. And so one of the things that he, he states very clearly is that Jesus is the light that is meant to guide us through this life. And so John 8 through 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world, and if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. And ultimately, God wants everyone to live in this light and in this love. There's not a single person that he wants exempt from that. And there's really no depth that he wouldn't go to to make sure that each of us know about that depth of his love for us. And so Jesus would go on to call himself the light of the world a couple more times. This is another theme that we see in the book of John. He calls himself the light of the world two more times, but all throughout scripture, we see God describing himself as light. And so if you guys are titling your notes today, the the title of the sermon is Step into the Light. And so I am going somewhere with all of this, I promise. There's a point to all of it. Um, But the idea that God would be personified by light is really profound for us today and especially for me because I think about what's going on in our world right now and things feel really dark they feel really heavy at least darker than in my lifetime that I've experienced Um, I know that a lot of there's a lot of worries on people's hearts right now people are worried about wars happening around the world People are worried about AI. Some people are excited about AI. (laughs) Some others of us are worried that we're going to have, like, you know, Armageddon because of AI. They're going to come and take us all, right? Um, Some of us have fears about inflation or we've just, you know, it's been really expensive to live these days. Some of us just feel the growing division that's surrounding us in our nation and around our world. And so there feels like a darkness and a heaviness a lot of times, and knowing and fully understanding that there is hope and that there is light at the end of the tunnel is more than just fuzzy words for us. It's our lifeline. It's the thing that carries us through, knowing that God is going to be the light. He's going to illuminate our path for us. He's going to show us which way we need to go, letting us know our purpose. He's, He's there showing us what we need to be doing. And so these words about light are just not simply, they're not trite and they're not metaphorical either. Sometimes they're metaphorical, but they're not always just metaphorical. Not only represented just in this life, but in the life to come, even in death. 
and we believe in heaven. We do, unashamedly. And so that's something we haven't really talked a lot about. And we're actually going to talk about that today. And so in Revelation 21, 3 through 5, John wrote down this. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live them with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things will be gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. I don't know if he meant to rhyme that or not, but, <laughs> um, but we have hope not just for this life, but for our life to come. And that is the whole point of talking about why God is our light, just not just in today, but for the years to come. And I was actually, um, a few weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast um, by a guy named Kerry Newhoff. He does a leadership podcast. And he was talking about um, how he, he was talking about a book that he had just recently released. And he started doing studies on near-death experiences. So yeah, we're going there today, guys. <laughs> totally random. But I really felt God was leading me to talk to you about this today. And so here's where we are. He wrote this book about near-death experiences. And um, he actually said that he started out as a scientist and he wanted to just study more about it, thinking he was going to prove that there was some kind of physiological explanation, there was some kind of something that happens in your brain as you're nearing death that it would describe and tell people why they were experiencing things. But the more that he recorded them and he, got, he ended up getting thousands of stories of these near-death experiences, the more and more he would record them, the more he would see that they were undeniable um, similarities between this, these stories, and they were not explainable through a physiological aspect. They just weren't. And so he was like, what do I do with this information? So he began to write it down, and he would have graphs and different things like showing who believed what and how everything was happening. And they actually, they founded a website for it because it, there's, doctors have been so overwhelmed with people talking about these experiences that they're having and having such consistent stories that they're going, we need to be able to record this because if it's happening this consistently, it's not just a random phenomenon, it's real. And so if you go to, there's, it's called nderf.org. It has 5,200 stories of NDEs and they're growing. So I'm gonna use the term NDE just so you all know going forward. Um, but when he began to compile the data, the startling themes that he noticed were that um, one, they couldn't be explained by chemical reactions. Most of these people were actually dead or in some kind of like um, deep, deep coma where they would not be able to comprehend what was happening around them. They were from people all across the globe in all different walks of life who practice all different kinds of faith and even most prevalently, most surprisingly, people who didn't have any faith, they were happening. And so in his book, he highlights about 100 of these case studies, but all of them share key points. And here's what they share. One is an out-of-body experience. Uh, even people who were legally blind could explain coming out of their body and looking down and describing the tools doctors were using, the name of the fan that was above their head, um, brands the doctor's clothing they were wearing. Just crazy stuff that they're like, 
I shouldn't be able to know these things because I can't see things on earth, right? Um, but every single one of them was describing these out-of-body moments where they were coming down and looking at themselves. Um, many of them, actually most of them described a pure light that was just encompassing them with pure love that was leading them down a tunnel into a gate or a door. And it was this light that was more colorful than anything they'd ever seen on earth. It was so bright. It was so beautiful. They were drawn to it. And the love was just so deep and so pure that it brought them to their knees. And they never wanted to leave because it was just, it didn't matter what they had done in their life or where they'd been. They just felt surrounded by this love. And this love had also shown a light on the ways that they had been living, but not in a way that felt condemning but in a way that compelled them to just comprehend their connectedness to everything in the world, right? And to everyone and to everything and the way they had lived. And even though many of them had never even heard of Jesus before or didn't have any language to describe him, never read scripture, they would say that the God of the Christians or Jesus was there and I saw him and he was wearing dazzling white robes, things that we see in scripture, about the way that Jesus is describing himself. And so they, they wouldn't have had those words except that they saw it. Um, they also were given an instant replay of their life on earth. Everyone was given a moment to call and have an account for the way that they had lived, the way that they made other people feel. And so they just felt, they felt the sadness of all the things that had gone wrong, either things that they had done, but also things that had happened to them. But then really quickly followed by this huge, um, just like a hug of forgiveness, if they wanted to accept that, just big hug of forgiveness, but also um, just a hug of saying, I know why you did these things. You were hurting. You were, you know, just this crazy, crazy depth of love that they'd never felt before. And some people actually did, they didn't only just experience the light, but they also got a glimpse or a snippet of the darkness. And they said that, there was just so much sheer depravity and pain and just ickiness that they felt God wanted them to understand the darkness and how serious it was and how that this darkness, this dark presence, um, wanted to manipulate people on earth and wanted to hurt them and wanted to take from them. Um, But this light and this love was so overwhelming that they felt compelled to accept this light so quickly over the darkness Um, or to share that love with other people. Um, And some of them also, uh, they were given the opportunity to go back and tell people about this or to go back and finish out an assignment that they were given. They were told things about the future. Some of them even saw, actually a large percentage of them saw family members um, that they they had been missing. A lot of them saw family members they didn't know existed, like a sibling who had died at birth or an uncle that was estranged from the family, and they could see and meet all of them, and they were all there to greet them. And so it's just very, scientists are now beginning to accept that with so many case studies, with so much similar data, they now need to pay attention to what is happening in these near-death experiences. Because it's really hard to actually ignore the spiritual implications of it, even scientifically. When you have the data and you have the information to back it up, it's really hard to say this isn't real, this isn't happening, it's figments of imagination. There's no way that a, a 
um, these things could be described by chemicals in your brain. It's only, um, it could only be possible if there was actually something happening after death or if there is another dimension that we're supposed to go to, right? And we call this in scripture, we call it this heaven. So I know this sounds all kind of crazy and kind of a weird thing to talk about on a Sunday morning, but I think that God wanted us to know about what is coming for us after this life. And not just that, but the intense love that he has for us in this life here as well. And so I know it just, it's a wild thing to talk about on a Sunday morning, but I really, really felt like God was saying, I want you to share this information. And every time I tried to get away from it, he kept bringing me back to it. <laughs> so here we are. Um, you know, I think one of the thing, reasons he wanted to, me to talk to you about this is because I actually had a few family members who had near-death experiences. One of them was my grandmother, um, who had been suffering with Parkinson's disease towards the end of her life for years, and she couldn't talk, walk, nothing. After a while, it just totally deteriorated. Um, and she was even in a coma for the last few uh, weeks of her life. And um, the the day right before she passed away, she sat up, wide-eyed, started talking to everyone, told everybody they loved. She loved them, gave them a hug, and just looked up, with this huge smile on her face and, and just passed away. And there was no explanation for it other than that somehow God just woke her up and let her say goodbye. And the other one was with my own mother and she also has since passed away, but now without leaving a profound, profound impact on my life after having her own near-death experience. And so I wanted to keep it brief because it's a very long story and there was so much that happened. So I thought, I'm just going to read you guys my journal because it's a quick little snippet um, how, of how I can share with you what happened to her experience. It says, this is from April 2008. Yesterday morning, my mother had a, f a fatal heart attack and passed away to be with the Lord. And I've had so many mixed emotions, ups and downs, joy and mourning. And for some, you may not understand the joy in the morning together, so I feel necessary to tell the joy story from the beginning. My mother's last full day of life marked a seven-year anniversary, seven coincidentally God's perfect number of perfection, or, sorry, God's number of perfection. The anniversary was seven years since my mother had been in a nearly fatal car accident, a head-on car collision with a school bus. The collision left her in a coma for four months to which she woke to a very difficult condition. She had to relearn to walk and talk. She had several surgeries internally and externally, reconstructions with eyes, ears, arms, not to mention she was left with brain injuries that changed her entire body chemistry and left her with little to no memory of her past and barely enough to remember day to day. And, oops, lost my place. <laughs> she was in constant pain and suffered terrible depression in the years to come. And that accident changed my life in many ways that I did not want to welcome. And it was just days before my 18th birthday and left me without a place to live, without a mom to walk me through major decisions in life. In a very strange way, I was relieved at her death because my mom at the same time was running away from the Lord in every way when I was just 18. She was almost not recognizable from the mom who had raised me to love and trust God. After she woke up from the accident, 
she told me that she remembered talking to Jesus and that she knew he was giving her a second chance to realign herself with him. And she took every advantage. She called herself mobility impaired and in many ways, but despite her own challenges, she constantly gave to others and she praised God for healing her and giving her a second chance. Because of her impairments, she was unable to work or drive. And so walking was really painful and difficult, especially without a helper because her equilibrium was really off. And so she filled her days at home knitting hats and booties for babies that were born into poor families. She constantly gave gifts to everyone around her, even though she only lived off of disability social security. And she always chose to see the good in me, even when I lost my patience with her, which happened a lot, um, more than I care to admit, because it is a strange thing seeing your once beautiful and energetic and athletic mom suddenly physically and mentally handicapped operating at the maturity level of a 12-year-old. It's not an easy thing for a 17-year-old to grasp. Yet with all of that, she could never utter a negative word about those around her, but only encouragement and love. And even though she ha had every right to point fingers about her situation, she never did. The second time, she was running towards God. And that's why when yesterday came, even though I was completely blindsided by her sudden death, I knew God had given me peace because I knew that he had been merciful with her. For a long time, I thought he'd been cruel to make her live that way for seven full years. But now I realize he was really merciful to give her a second chance to live for him and to allow her to be an example for him, of him to so many around her. And now she's no longer mobility impaired, but instead she can run again into Christ's arm, <clears throat> arms. and she can dance like she never has before, and she really loved to dance. All that to say, the last day has been ultimately the second phase of mourning the loss of my mother, the first time I mourned seven years ago. But I'm ultimately relieved that this time I know for a fact that my mother is with God, and I will one day see her again, <clears throat> where I will never have to lose her again. So like I said, this story just kind of scratches the surface of her life. Can you hand me my water? Sorry, I'm losing my voice. <laughs> um, like I said, I was just 17 when that accident happened, and it kind of threw me for a little tailspin. And while she was in her four-month coma, actually God was doing miracles with her, but he was also doing miracles with me. Um, at that time, I had been living with my mom and her fiancé, and I couldn't return to live with my dad because he'd married a very abusive woman. And so um, I was kind of couch hopping from all over the place for about a year of my life. And I was kind of homeless in a way. And I wasn't sure how I would even pay my bills. <clears throat> At that time, I needed to pay for my own car, my own gas, and all of that. And make sure I had food to eat and all of that. And so, like I said, luckily, I was couch hopping. There were people who would let me stay in their home during that time. And um, <clears throat> it was kind of crazy. I was a little bit traumatized, and trying to hold down a job was really hard because I was still mourning. But luckily, um, there was a group of adults who took notice of me, who just took me into their home. They helped me to register for school. They kind of encouraged me to hold down a job. Taka was actually one of them. He had a, a small group of young teens that would actually come and just pray for me, and they took me in kind of under their wing in a lot of ways. That was when Taka came into my life. Um, 
So I know, sweet, right? <laughs> we didn't start dating right away, don't worry. We kept it totally legal. Um, <laughs> I was a sophomore in college when we started dating, so it's all good. <laughs> but <clears throat> God had done miracles for me. During that time, I would just get, I would get cards in the mail with money. Literally, someone gave me a money tree one time. Um, I would get gas cards, all kinds of things. He just took care of everything. He gave me a <laughs> just peace that passes all understanding. <clears throat> and I spent several days in his presence after that um, happened, just asking God, why? Why has all of this happened? I had such a great life. Why is it now so crazy? Why do I have to go through all of this? <clears throat> Feeling the, the sting of fear and loss and uncertainty. But you would think in those moments, you know, why? Well, I was crying out to God and just living so afraid that he would be like, you know, upset with me for not being thankful, right? Why aren't you just thankful that you're alive? Why aren't you thankful that you have what you need? But it was actually the opposite. I felt so embraced and so loved by God. And I actually felt closer to God during that time of difficulty than I've ever felt in my entire life before. And, you know, it's in our deepest pain that he pours out his deepest love for us. Psalm 56, 8 says, you keep track of all of my sorrows and you've collected all my tears in your bottle. I don't know why I'm still crying. <laughs> you've recorded each one in your book. And I picture these moments, I picture God like a mother. And that's exactly what I needed in that moment was I needed a mother. I didn't have one. And so God is just so sweet and so beautiful um, that he's exactly what we need him to be in the moment that we need him. And when we allow the space for him in our pain, he meets us exactly how we need. <laughs> she's so sweet. She's, she's giving me um, tissues. I'm going to pull it together, so it's going to be okay. <laughs> um, I'm well aware that there's people in here in this room that you may be going through really difficult situations and it may feel almost wrong to come before God crying and sobbing or angry or not understanding. But I just want to share with you that he can handle that. He can handle that. And he's not going to cast you out of his presence for feeling that way. He's there and he wants to surround you with his love and comfort you and cover you with that. Um, I just want to encourage you, though, to make the space to, for him to join you in that. And don't push him away because he wants to cover you. Um, he works all things out for your good if you let him in. And in Romans 8, 26 to 28, it says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And like I said, during that time, I saw God like I never had before. And it was in that time he was doing miracles in me, like helping me to, to get rid of unhealthy things in my life, things that I would have never thought about before if I hadn't been focusing on him. Um, I slowly began to fall in love with scripture, and I really depended on 
the scripture because it literally saved my life so many times. Uh, I would hold on to it. I, I understood Jeremiah 15, 16 that says, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight for I bear your name. And they actually really did give me life and gave me the guidance that I needed, the light that I needed to, to light my pathway when there was only darkness surrounding me. And so my faith actually grew stronger as I wrestled with God. Because when God is all you have, you realize that he's really all that you need. And so, so much more. And so I was really thankful for both how her life and my life were changed from that experience. And I shared, you know, that she came back and she made things as right as that she could. And she recalled talking with Jesus, uh, but she didn't really share much else. And, I, and I, I'm not really sure why she decided to come back, to be honest with you, because she knew that she was going to have to come back to what she was going to experience, which was she was going to be physically and mentally disabled. And all I can say is that there had to be some great purpose for her to be back here. And so I can say that with certainty that God purposed for her to be back here and to, to change my life and probably many other people's lives. Um, because had I not been pushed into that crisis, I probably wouldn't be on the path that I am today. I would have never met my husband I would not be a pastor, that's for sure. I had my own plans. They weren't great. <laughs> um, I probably wouldn't really know him in a personal way. He was very cerebral to me. I grew up in a Christian home, but I didn't, and I knew God, I knew about God, but I didn't know God until I needed him, right? And so he became very real to me in that time. I would not have moved into a friend's home who she was really headed down a really bad path as well. And she gave her life to the Lord because we were just there. I was just there, and we talked about it all the time. And she was like, what's going on in your life? Why are you so happy? Your life sucks. <laughs> but because I lived with her family, they, we would all sit up and talk at night. She got saved, and then her mom got saved, and her dad got saved, and then her brother got saved, and then his wife got saved. Their whole family got saved. And they're all still living for the Lord today. And she's also become a youth pastor, and so now lots of people are getting saved because of that as well. And so God had a plan. So, not only that, but I think because what I experienced as being a teen in crisis, I now have a huge heart for teens in crisis, which is why I'm really passionate about young lives. It's why we're also really passionate about Illumination Foundation, people living in crisis, who need that love and care. It's not by their own fault. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. doesn't matter because they're so loved by God and that's all that they need to know. All you need to know is that you're so loved and that God's love and all-encompassing light is enough to see you through anything that you've experienced through life. And I know many of you have lived really hard lives. I know some of your stories. I know them. They're wild. You should sit down and ask some people their story in this room. They've got some really crazy God stories to share with you. But if you're sitting in this room and you're, and you're thinking to yourself that, you know what, maybe you've tried everything that you can in this life to make your life work on your own. I just felt really strongly today that God wanted to tell people in this room that you were never meant to go through life alone. You're never meant to carry your burdens alone. 
God created you and he knit you together in your mother's womb. Even if you weren't planned, he planned you. He wanted you to be here for this time and in this place. And he has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for you. And he knows exactly what he was doing when he made you. He wants to heal your wounds physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. You have a purpose. If you're breathing and you're here today, you have a purpose. And he's got that for you. But first, you have to give the keys of your life over to him. And if you haven't done that, you'll get the opportunity to do that today. And then you need to be baptized because he wants to pour out his spirit and give you gifts and all kinds of other things. You need to get baptized if you want all that, okay? So do that. Don't skip that. (laughs) Some of you here are in the middle of a trial in your own life right now. and, And I just want you to know that he's not surprised by your situation. And in fact, I think he's inviting you into something a little bit more meaningful maybe than you've had with him in the past because God doesn't waste your trials, but he is working a miracle in you, in them. And they're not meant to be the end of you, but maybe they are the beginning of something really new that you haven't experienced before and it's time for you to lean into that new and to that scary, right? Sometimes we need someone to blame in our pain, but I just want you to know that God is not against you. Maybe some of you have felt like God is mad at you or he's against you. He's not against you. He's for you in every way possible. And he wants to be there for you. He wants to carry your burdens for you. But, and he came to conquer the one who is against you. He came to conquer the one who is against you, that darkness that we talked about. So you don't have to fight your battles alone, but it's a choice that you have to make. You have to surrender, and you have to give over a little bit of control. But why would you give up the army of help that God has lined up for you, whether it's through a small group or whether it's through a random person or it's just God himself showing up? You have to surrender control if you really want him to intervene. And lastly, I just want to know that a lot of you in this room, like I said, I know your stories. They're really wild. And you've overcome a trial, but people don't know about it. And they need to. And it's time for you to share your story. And so for those of you who maybe, I I shared my story in faith today that there was something that some of you all needed to hear today. And to know that God is with you no matter what you go through. But there's other people in this world who need to know that too. And your story is going to make a difference in their life. So my last encouragement for you today is share your story. You don't have to share the whole of scripture, but share your story and what God has done in your life because you never know how God could save someone's life just by you showing them his light and embodying his love. All right, so if we can go ahead and just, if you can pray with me, I'd like to pray over you as we close out this message. God, I thank you. I thank you that you're so kind and you're so good and that there's nothing that we can do that will put us too far away from you. You want to surround us with your all-encompassing light and love. And so I just pray that every person would feel that, the depth of that today, that they would be, have the courage to do what they need to do, to step out in faith, to surrender, to share their story to be baptized, whatever it is that they need from you today. God, I pray you would meet them right where they are. 
and show them that they're not alone. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's message at Voice Church. We hope it inspired you to live a life more faithfully for Jesus and to be a voice of hope for your community. We'd love for you to join us in person on a Sunday. And until then, we hope you have a beautiful week.